0: Hey there, and welcome back to Scopophilia. We are the Millennial Movie Movement Summer Session Editions. And I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller. It is hard to believe, but we are at the final episode of our Summer Sessions. We have talked to visual effects artists, production designers, finance producers, executives, line producers, and now music supervisors so many people that i can barely keep track of them and their amazing conversations but thank goodness i have them all on tape and you've been listening along which is so much fun i've been learning so much and using my brain this summer to just cram it full of information about the film industry about the movie industry about the tv industry everything that you need to know, and we're just getting started. Because even though this summer session is coming to a close, season three is just around the corner. And I will go into details more about that later, of course. But let us continue our conversation with Trisha Halloran, music supervisor. Credits include Dead to Me, Fargo, uh, Castle, New Amsterdam, and most recently in the film world, she has been working on Tully, as well as the upcoming film, The Space Between. So, without further ado, the continuation of my conversation with Trisha Halloran about her amazing career as a music supervisor. Enjoy! Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something... It's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, students and, you know, people who are looking at the film industry going, I'm not sure what I want to do, but I know I want to do music or, or film or something in that vein, you know, what would you kind of tell people who are interested in that and want to get into that? You know, what kind of steps would you, or advice would you give them?
1: I think there's there's a few things I advise people to do. One is take as many classes as you can find. There's online classes in LA. UCLA has a great extension nighttime class uh, program, and they have music supervisors from the industry teach classes there. They bring in guests from the business to speak at their classes. So there's a lot of ways you can learn the nuts and bolts of it, which is very important. Even if you have such great music knowledge and feel like you know everything about music, (laughs) you gotta understand the basics of it or you're just gonna be getting in a situation where you're gonna be in trouble. (laughs) And then no one will ever hire you again if you put a song (laughs) in their film that's not clearable. So so that's one thing is and that will also help you know if it's something you like or not. If you really hate the legal aspect of it, I wouldn't advise getting into it because it's important. And then I also tell people you've got to network and meet people. So if you're just starting, meet other filmmakers that are just starting, local film schools, uh, local film clubs. Those people need up-and-coming music supervisors, or they're going to get themselves in trouble on their own film. (laughs) And those people, they go on to have careers and you'll get a credit if you work on any kind of even a festival film or a student film. So that's a great way to start is just find the local film network wherever you are and try to connect to that as much as possible. And I think anything you can do in the music business that feeds your passion and helps identify you is great. I mean, I had a huge step up from being a KCRW DJ because it's a brand that everybody in LA knows, a lot of film people listen to. So that was a gigantic step for me. That's not something everybody's going to have, but maybe you book bands at a local club, or maybe you write a blog that's all about a certain kind of vintage music. Uh, whatever you can do to sort of establish your brand, so to speak, mm-hmm. is also going to be good for you when you start getting opportunities to, to work on stuff. Right on.
0: There's well, also
1: and, uh, a, no, go ahead. Please go ahead. <laughs> There's also a lot of jobs that are, that are, what well, what am I looking for? Uh, next to music supervising, but not music supervising oh, okay. that are sort of aligned with music supervising. So I work with a lot of what we call music libraries where someone might be managing a catalog of music that's pre-cleared. If I'm really have a limited budget and it's a very background song in a bar, I might go to one of these libraries. So those are great places to work because you meet music supervisors. You get an idea what the business is all about. There's a few music supervisors that have that are big enough and have staff, and maybe they're hiring assistants or interns. I, I work by myself mostly. I kind of might step up a little as needed, but there are music supervisors that are more bigger operations. So obviously getting involved with that is good. There's record labels, publishers. Uh, there's a lot of jobs in in music that are related to music supervising that are a great way to sort of get your foot in the door. I think.
0: Awesome. Well, and I wanted to ask you as well as like, I mean, I wouldn't say it's off topic, but is there like a project that you want to, that you'd like to work on like a certain genre or, you know, whether it be film or TV or, or anything in between that, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, I'd like to work on something like that or like something different or, Like or do you find like certain projects are like what you're really passionate about?
1: I think that yeah, I'm interested in I just did a video game, which won't come out for two years, I think. Oh talk about having (laughs) a long gestation period. That was pretty fun though. A video game was fun because it was a little more abstract than I'm used to. Like I kind of saw footage, but it was very blocky and, hmm. and that was fun. There was a lot of specific requirements that I can't talk about. It's a big yes. video game. <laughs> um, and I had to sign a non-disclosure, but that was pretty fun. So I'd like to do more of that. And, you know, one kind of film that I love, but I have never worked on is an animated film. Ooh. And I love all, you know, I love all the Disney animated films, um, Pixar, like I, I love them all. So I just feel like that's something I'd like to have that notch, you know, Mm. and work on an animated film. I'm sure it's a slightly different process because you're sort of working more ahead in a way. And if they have to animate to your song, that's even getting further out in front of stuff than even I normally do. But I think it would be just fun just because I like that genre so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and also, I mean, in in that same vein, is there a film that like, that inspires you in terms of like, Oh man, that soundtrack is really great. Like, are there ones that, you know, you kind of go into it being like, Oh, this soundtrack is amazing. Like tell your friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, well, a few things come to mind. I think the first film I ever saw where the music was, wow, was Harold and Maud, oh. which, which used all Cat Stevens music. And yeah. that was just a mind blowing experience. Uh, so as a fan, that was, I didn't even know I was going to work in the music business or be a DJ or anything at that point, but I will always remember that film for the music. And then, and now I forgot the other two things. Uh, <laughs> well, one is the, let oh, see, this is why I get nervous about interviews because I just blank on <laughs> things. I know, you know, this show, Sex Education. Oh, yeah. Uh The Music Supervising and Sex Education is top of the tops. I have never seen a show that I was so envious of. (laughs) (laughs) The Music Supervising. It just was perfect. It was so perfect. And it was very not popular. And it wasn't trying to be popular. But it was just perfect for the tone. And I I just loved every moment of it. Yeah. Dying for the next season to come out right now. Me too, girl, then, Me too. <laughs> uh, and then, what was, um? what else was I going to mention? Oh, uh, I think in sort of the modern era, a film that really stuck me, with me was Juno by oh, Jason yeah. Raymond. And then I was, I mean, so excited to work with him uh, recently on a couple of things because that film really showed, again, that you don't have to use mainstream music to reach people and the underground music and the unheard heroes have always been my soft spot, my specialty. So that film really felt like, look what you can achieve. And so Juno always has a soft spot in my heart.
0: Yeah. I mean, great picks (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Because I was like trying to think of, you know, I don't think people, think of music initially when they think of of film even though it it's really super important in like all media that you that you watch it's like always there it's true yeah it's like the unsung hero yeah for sure and I was trying to think of like soundtracks that like specifically like stick out in my mind and one of the biggest ones is um like Elizabethtown because I think um oh, yeah yeah. That had oh, a great soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack, and and just thinking of like it really makes you wonder of like, okay, if I sit down and I listen to like the music in this, like, how is my perspective of this going to change? If yeah. that makes sense? Yeah, it's just yeah. it's so interesting. And I mean, like, do you have any like um, like fun, interesting things that have happened like during your creative process of of picking? songs and things? I mean, so many stories. Uh, sometimes
1: I, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, I mean, let's see, what is a good story I can tell? <laughs> um, I mean, and some of them I can't tell, so right. then I have to be a little, <laughs> a little cautious. Mm. Um, well, we've already mentioned Jason Reitman and did you see uh Tully the film Tully I haven't yet it's on my list yeah it's really good so there's a scene where the girls are driving in a car and they drive from New Jersey oddly enough into hey. New York City <laughs> and uh this is fairly late in the process and we had a set budget for music and we had definitely spent it all and then <laughs> Jason said he said, and then shortly after that, I think, sent me a clip of it. Uh, I want, as they drive into the city, I want them to be listening to one album, uh, maybe Cyndi Lauper. And I thought, oh, God, <laughs> <I> mean, <yeah. laughs> a whole album, you know, we don't have any money left. Right. Like, how are we going to do that? <laughs> and then I, I suggested all the, I looked at the Cyndi Lauper album he wanted to use. I don't think I'm blanking on it was key, her, her first big album. And the thing about Cindy Lauper, she has co-writers on every song. So that's um. a lot of people owning the music. So we played 10 tracks. It was something like 15 or 20 owners. And so I tried to suggest other artists that maybe wrote their own songs. So we could <laughs> like a modest <laughs> more set. So you could just, do two deals, you know, one with the record label and one with Alana. So, and then give her a decent amount of money, but not maybe pay her premium for every single song. Right. I made so many suggestions, but there was none of it. Jason had to have the Cindy Lauper album. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm going to try to make it happen. And I just went into problem solving mode and I just negotiated like a we just gave everybody the same rate, and I sort of went to the record label first, and I said, "You know, what would you take if this was the case?" And I sort of, in a way, tried to divide. Like I gave, I took a pot of money and then divided it by song, mm. and then once the record label was on board, which was a little easier because they were getting paid for ten songs, mm-hmm. then I went to Cindy, who was already over, and She, in fact, Jason met with her, and kind of paved the way for that which is great he's great about that he's like what do do you need me to do send me and I'm like meet with Cindy (laughs) and and so then I went to all her co-writers which was a a whole different story I think I went to the publisher first that had maybe five out of the 15 writers and once they were on board then I used that to where I mean it was a long process and we were on it till the 11th hour but once I had almost everyone I felt confident telling Jason I think we're going to get it. And he, we did have to come up with some extra money. I said, you're going to have to get an extra X amount of money to make this happen, (laughs) Uh, which he did from the, from the distributor. And, and somehow it all came together, but that was something that at the beginning I thought, you know, and with a great director, that's often what will happen. They'll just make a request and you just got to go, I don't know how, but I'm going to make that happen. Right? You're the man, (laughs) you know, or you're the woman. And, you know, it's the same on all my projects. And I, I think that's probably why I've gotten to work on a lot of great things because I see the ultimate goal is fulfill this director's vision because they know what they're doing and they know what they want. And if they want suggestions, I'm happy to make them, but usually there's a reason why they want a certain thing. And Mm. sometimes you, you don't have the budget and you've got to work around it, but sometimes you just got to say, we're going to make this happen because it's the right thing and they have a good sense of it. So But a lot of times there's a quest where you're like, inside you're going, holy shit. And then outside you're going, (laughs) I'll make it happen, sir. (laughs) You you just got to try. Wow. And it usually works out. Well, that's good at
0: least. (laughs) Yeah. Usually. Yeah. (laughs) Being the key word. So, I mean, it sounds like in addition to being, you know, incredibly creative, it's also, you know, knowing the legal aspects, knowing the problem solving, and also being able to carry like a couple different plates at a time. Would you say that's, that's kind of accurate? There's a lot of juggling,
1: actually. There's a lot of juggling. I'm constantly, I'm very organized, but I'm, there's so many tasks on any given day that I'm definitely struggling with the system to, to Mm. just make sure, you know, there's a lot of kind of reviewing everything you've got to stay on top of your email. It's, it's a lot of juggling and, the switching hats is almost the hardest. So I'm, I'm, you know, negotiating a deal and now I'm creatively trying to find the best song for this. And now I'm just trying to get through my email and make sure I haven't missed anything. And now I'm handholding, uh, you know, a producer that's freaking out about their episode and how are we going <laughs> to fix it? And no, no, no. There's a lot of psychology involved in music supervising too. <laughs> Cause a lot of times you're, you're sort of, you're translating. People that may or may not, they know what they like, but they may not be able to describe what they like. Mm. So you, you learn, that's one nice thing about TV, you sort of learn over time what a producer means. So one producer might say, I don't like folk, would well, they really just mean, they don't like acoustic guitar alone, but if it has a piano in it, then it's okay. okay. You, know, you sort of learn these, these kind of things and you become a translator.
0: Mm.
1: One film I worked on that uh, William Macy directed called Crystal with a K. It's a really fun film. Very tonally, it's a com. It's again a kind of a dark comedy <laughs> to be my specialty. <laughs> and they only licensed one song in the entire film, but I did a lot of work with the composer and with temping score and in the end when we were finessing the score, Dan Romer did the score. He's an amazing composer. I was working with also with Rachel winter, who at that time was a producer. And then she started directing with the film that I worked on with her, uh, the space between, Mm. but she, there was just certain things about the score that she really wanted to give notes on. But, she kind of needed a translator. You know, she would right. sort of say, no, no, no. And composers are pretty good at that too. But I was able to then sort of help bridge that gap to the composer, which was also a fun process. So Yeah. A lot of so yeah, equal parts psychology, legal and <laughs> and music knowledge. That's what you need. That's all. Oh, is that all? <laughs> yeah, is that all?
0: Well, and so let me also ask you, because I know, you know, we're kind of starting to get back To normal it feels like. And I know in the beginning of like COVID and, and the pandemic, it was almost like Hollywood kind of stopped in its tracks. And I mean, what was that, you know, like in, in your world, in the world of music, was it, you know, was it easier to kind of make the adjustment of like working from home or was it more of a struggle because of, you know, working on different projects? I mean, how, how did that kind of affect your, your world? Well,
1: It's true that I did work from home already, more or less, although I did drive to Hollywood a lot to every session of a television show, you have a spotting session where you watch the episode with the producers and the composer, discuss any changes that need to be made to the score. At that point, the score is really not written. They've just temped the score in with Mm. either previous episodes, music, or even music from a completely different source entirely. And then the composer needs to make it all of a piece and use the palette you've decided on for that television show. And we discuss also the music and and how the song's going to be edited and if any songs need to be changed out. Hopefully not at that point because you're only a week away from the mix and you're having a heart (laughs) attack if they're telling you. And they have no idea. Trust me, they have no idea. They're like, can't we replace that song? And I'm like... Yes, I'll make it happen. (laughs) So anyway, my point is I did drive to Hollywood a lot for those meetings, which took place in in person, but somehow during the pandemic, they figured out a way to do those meetings online, (laughs) which sometimes people had tried, but there wasn't really good technology for it, but Mm. because you do have to play the episode and everybody has to be watching the same episode at the same time, uh, and also be able to converse about it. But they got over that hump. And so now all those sessions are online, which is great because I don't have to spend an hour driving to Hollywood and then an hour driving back. So I think in that sense, it freed up my day a lot, which is good. And I still get to interact with people, you know, that spotting session is a great time to just talk about the next episode and just, you know, just be with the people you work with and, and talk about things. So I still get all that. So that's good. Um, like any, Buddy, like any family, I then had my kids at home, which was not good. Right. <laughs> because, you know, talk about it, I was already felt like I was juggling so much. And then they're like, oh, we'll just throw some kids into the mix. Like, right. oh. <laughs> so that was not good. But then work slowed down a lot. There just wasn't as many things you know, in production. We, we rushed out the last season, not the last season, but the last season. We did season two of Dead to Me literally they finished mixing episode ten the day that they shut the studio down. Oh wow. So there was a hustle to get that finished a little bit earlier. Although we were we were kind of in the ballpark, but we did have to pull it up, I think a couple weeks. And then it was just like then nothing. (laughs) Like all the studios were closed down. Nobody was mixing. Maybe there was some editing. There was no new production happening because that was all shut down. So then there was this lull if people, if music supervisors had things that were already in Post, meaning the editors were working on them, then that could be done remotely, but no new projects were really starting. So there was a definite quiet period. And I'm very grateful that things have started up again and that I had two returning TV shows. So it's changed the process, I think, for the better. One of the producers on New Amsterdam said, We're never going back to having these meetings in person, are we? He <laughs> doesn't want to drive to Hollywood either, right? So, no, 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 let's keep doing them online. Gotcha. So, so that part of it has been an improvement. I think people figured things out that they
0: could have always done, but we just never got around to it. And mm. probably safer for everybody, right? Right. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, or do you think you're still going to have to make that drive, but maybe not well, as I much anymore? I think that's done. <laughs> not <laughs> as much.
1: I mean, it still would be nice. The, the mixing is something that... So, after you spot it, then the composer writes the score, and then there's a final mix. And at the final mix, the, what the mixer is doing is combining the dialogue tracks, any ADR, like a revoicing of dialogue or a voiceover, the songs that I've licensed, the composer score, and all the sound effects. And they're trying to find the right balance for all that. And everybody has to be there to review. So, the music editor is there representing the composer producers that have final say are there. Usually the editor of the episode is there and I'm there so that we can all be listening because there's a lot going on and any one person might catch something somebody else did not. Hmm. So that can be done online, but it's, I mean, they have been doing it online, but it's definitely not as good as being in a mixed stage, which is like the size of a small or even a large theater where you're really hearing it on these great speakers and can really finesse the mix so mixes I think should still take place in person but every other
0: meeting that can be online (laughs) (laughs) well that's I mean um that's incredibly fortunate and I mean so glad and um I'm so excited to you know see some of these things that you know have just come out or are coming out later on in uh like I know I think Dead to Me is coming back with another season. So yeah, we're working on season three. There's been some delays, so I think it's going to be a little later than everyone thinks. Mm. But
1: um, but I've read all the scripts and they're fantastic.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be good. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I feel like we've come to a pretty natural stopping point. But is there anything else that you would like to impart to our listeners, or <laughs> or any other tidbits you'd like to to tell us about? I think, uh, no, I think that was good. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I love learning about all of this stuff and especially talking with people where I don't really know the job. It's been always really fun. Yeah. So yeah. This, this has been really fun. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time. I know you are a busy lady. So thank <laughs> you for taking time to sit down with me for a small while and, and talk about your interesting job. Well, you're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And you're welcome back anytime. Happy to talk music and film anytime you are awesome. free. <laughs> Keep me on tap. Let's Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. And well, we can chat a little bit after this, but Okay. Thank you so so much. You're welcome. Another huge 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 thank you to Trisha Halloran for coming on and talking about her amazing career as a music supervisor. I mean, like we've discussed, we have The Space Between is coming out. Dead to Me Season 3 is coming out, which is all been part of her job, her day-to-day. I mean, how amazing is that, just thinking about? I mean, for me, anyway. (laughs) I love the idea that these people are tirelessly working and enjoying their jobs in this industry and and just creating and uh, I'm just so excited to be watching all this new content that's been coming out and and also just now having a deeper appreciation for some of the things that I'm going to be you know enjoying and watching because I've spoken to these people who have been involved so I can say oh I know And we know, we know these people now. How amazing is that? But on the other hand, the summer session is over, which is very sad. But that also means that season three is just around the corner. We are almost at one full year of podcasting, my friends. One full year of nothing but scopophilia, nothing but movies and learning and chatting and laughing about film. So it's only appropriate that since we are nearing a year, we premiered September 25th, 2020, starting this show. It's only appropriate that for season three to kick off, we're coming back September 24th, 2020. 21. And I got to tell you as someone who has been working on both the summer sessions for your enjoyment as well as prepping for season 3, we have so many amazing films on the docket. I mean, you would not believe some of the iconic films we're going to be talking about come September and just get ready. That's all I'm going to say. Of course, if you want to stay informed and also keep enjoying the show, you have a couple options, a couple paths laid out for you. Um, Of course, if you liked the show, please go and listen to seasons one and two, as well as the rest of the summer sessions, because the summer session is now over, as I have said. But, of course, if you listened to all of our episodes as well as the new summer session, you have a couple options as well. You can follow us on our social medias. We have an Instagram account, at Scopophilia underscore podcast, as well as a TikTok page, at Scopophilia the podcast, where you can follow us for updates and anything going on with the show. And of course, just for you guys, we also have merch. We have hats, we have shirts, we have totes. And you can easily find them either in our Instagram bio. The link is there. You can just one click away and there you are. Or you can go over to ncpodcasts.com slash scopophilia and it will be there for you with all of the information about the show and the episodes thus far. Since you're on the internet, though... Make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe the show. It helps us out a lot, and I love hearing from you guys as always. We love keeping the conversation going all year round, even in the midst of these breaks like we are about to take. Because why stop the conversation? I mean, I might be on break, but uh, you should be telling your friends and your family and your family of friends and your friends of family and everybody else in between about the show so that we can keep on talking and having new discussions, new perspectives, all of those amazing things. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I will see you all for season three in September. Bye.